What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. My name's Corey Wong. I'm your host. This week on the show, it's gonna be a good one. Now, if anybody out there is a fan of my music, which I would guess if you're listening to my podcast, you might be a fan of my music. I got a new album out. Corey Wong and Dave Koz, The Golden Hour, a collaborative album, super fun to make. Check it out. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, whatever, you know, all the places. Check it out. We got CDs for sale. Yeah, that's right. This is the only time, maybe in the rest of my life, that I'm going to ask somebody to buy a CD. But you should buy a CD because it's actually a pretty cool CD. But it's great on digital also. That's where I normally consume my music, but you know, whatever. All right. Today on the show, special guest, we got my good friend, Mark Lettieri. Now, some of you know Mark from his solo music, from playing with Snarky Puppy, or from the band that he and I have together called The Fearless Flyers. A lot of people have asked for me to have Mark as a guest on the show. A lot of people want to hear us rattle off about the Flyers and how we do the Flyers stuff. So I'm asking Mark what his recollection is of the genesis of the Flyers. And I'll give my uh, history of it as well. And we're going to get into some guitar nerdery stuff. We're gonna, I mean, it's a guitar podcast. Of course, we're going to do that. So thanks for hanging. Mark Lettieri. Let's hit it. You guys hip to DistroKid yet? It is the easiest, fastest, and cheapest way to get your music onto streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, pretty much anywhere else that people consume music. You can get an account starting at $19.99 per year. Per year, you get unlimited uploads and you keep 100% of your earnings. 100%. So for somebody like me, I put out I put out a lot of albums last year. It was still just one annual price, no matter how many albums I have up, and I keep 100% of the earnings that come in. There's a lot of reasons I love DistroKid, but the ones I want to highlight here are the Teams feature. So basically, I can assign a percentage of royalties to go to any of my collaborators, however we work it out, or my managers work with their managers, and we work out you know whatever percentage split my percentage goes to me, and then DistroKid gives the other percentage to the other collaborator or artist. It works amazing, and neither one of us as artists needs to handle the accounting. DistroKid just does it for us. Set! If you'd like to give them a try, use my VIP link to get 30% off your first year of DistroKid membership. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong. There it is. Let's get to the episode. Dude, what's happening, man? Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. I'm finally on the podcast. I made it. Yes! I can finally get you, bro. Now we've jumped the shark You've with Mark. It's all, I mean, this is it. Dude, jumping the shark <laughs> with over. Mark. That's got to be your That's got to be your podcast <laughs> name. You've crested. The wave is now cresting now that I'm on the podcast. <laughs> no way, well, dude. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> nah, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me, dude. Of course. So most people who know the two of us know that we met through, well, maybe they don't know how we met, but the first like real collab thing that we've done was Fearless Flyers. Right. I uh, I know my side of the story on how the band came together and how everything started, but I'm, I want to hear from your vantage point. Pretend that I'm not the person that emailed you. <laughs> how did the Fearless Flyers happen? <laughs> Well, wait a minute, because it happened because I got an email. That was it. I got an email from Corey Wong, who I'd never met. And I was like, who is this joker asking me to be in a band? And I don't even know what we're, what we're doing or who these people are or whatever. No, that's that's half true. But yeah, you emailed me and and it was a very brief email. You said, hey, man, we're starting a project under the Wolf label. It's going to be me on guitar, Joe Dart on bass hopefully Nate Smith on drums and hopefully you on baritone guitar. And I think I called you and I was like, what are we doing? Do I have to play baritone guitar? Like I was kind of like, what do you mean, dude? Haven't you heard me play regular guitar? Like I'm pretty good at it. You know, <laughs> like I, I was like, Oh, he wants me to, you know, be the, you know, whatever. And then, and then I remember, you, yeah. So I was like, we talked for a minute and then I think I called you back like 30 or 40 minutes later. And I said like, dude, I'm an idiot. Like, let's, this is going to be great. Like, let's play some kick, kick butt music and have a great time. And thankfully that's exactly what has happened. (laughs) 
Yeah, you see some. I had, to, I, had to, I had to check the ego at the door there, you know? No, I think also, like, even within the Wolfpack family, we're all kind of like in the dark every once in a while on what's happening. And one notch upstream from that is that Jack had the vision for the band. And was just like, yeah, three guitars in three different ranges, all on stands, and Nate right. Smith as the centerpiece of the band. You know, he had the vision, right. like, Nate Smith, bass, baritone, electric. And he had actually had the vision for that band for a couple years. And then, oh, really? dude, literally, as soon as you started doing Baritone Funk Thursdays on Instagram, that was like, oh my gosh, that's the cat. Okay. And also, so many people had been berating Wolfpack and all of us like, hey, Wolfpack and Snarky Puppy, where's the, sure. you know, like, it's like, you know, we're like actually very different bands. But Pretty so, different bands. Yeah, totally yeah. different bands. But people, I, I understand why people compartmentalize the right. bands. You know, like we, we'll we'll get put in the same box in a certain type of community. You know, people that sure. are like in the deep muso thing, you understand the difference between it. But I think as the average general public, just like, oh, these are like the kind of young hipster guys that are doing music -y stuff live in a room. Okay, like that mm -hmm. makes that does make sense. Although, yes, we are very different bands and you know approaches sure. and whatever, and and it's great. What you guys do is awesome. Yeah, I feel really good about what Wolf does. So, anyways, totally. Jack, Jack had that, and then it was all those things. So it's like, all right, I'm uh, I'm just gonna email Mark. And Jack's like, uh, all yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, Joe and I are available in January. I'm just gonna see if Nate is down because I had one interaction with Nate before. Where I mean, you know, Nate now he's just like the coolest dude. Right. And he's just down if it's going to be a good time musically and everything, you know, and it's good people. So I cold emailed you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, there wasn't a whole lot of plan at that point. It was literally just, we're going to go to the studio for three days and we're going to come out with an album. Just kind of like trust us that right. it's going to happen. And I think the reason why I, my recollection of why you needed to call me back is you were like, Oh, dude, like, because I think it was November and the session we were going to do was like a month and a half out. It was in January. Yeah. yeah, or something. Yeah. So you're like, dude, honestly, I got this Irish project that is just like kicking my butt right now. I'm trying, I got so much stuff to like, I, uh, I could tell you're in a kind of a yeah. state of overwhelm. And I was like, dude, dude, look, don't worry about any of it. That's awesome. Right. Do whatever you need to do. But if you're comfortable, we'll just literally show up. You don't need to prepare anything. Maybe I'll send half a demo, but or a couple little voice memo demos. We're going to show up, we're going to record on the day, and then you leave, and it's all, you know, it's it's easy. And you're like, okay, okay. Right. I don't know, though. Uh, let me think about it. Yeah, and then <laughs> five minutes later, you call me back, and you're like, dude, I, I don't know. Yeah, yes, yes, I'm, yes, I'm in. Right. And I was, yeah. I was, well, so, I, I was it, so relieved. I still remember I, I, I parked the car, like, just to give my, oh, like, geez. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i didn't mean to give you a heart attack i was like well i remember i went because i this was i you know i bounce everything off my, of my wife she's a genius and she she you know she keeps me level-headed or whatever and i told her everything and she was like why would why would you not do that like well, go play your guitar idiot like what do you <laughs> like go have fun this sounds great yeah. go do it and i was like yeah i guess you're absolutely right what's the worst that could happen <laughs> Well, I stuck. I'm stuck to a music stand or a mic stand. That's the worst that could happen with boots that don't really fit. We need to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no, I need I, a smaller I, size. You know what? We all need a smaller size boot, and we need to. They're so big. We need to get our out. We need to get our wardrobe tailored. Yeah. Like our. our I mean, but it's kind of cool because it's like, for somebody like me, it's like military grade stuff. Like this is what we got, kid. Right. Pack on some pounds and then you'll fit into it. It's like, oh yeah, right. I can lift weights. For get your boots off of a, uh, get a get your boots off of a dead guy or whatever, you know. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, but oh jeez, yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I remember you and Nate showing up to the first day of the session, and Nate was like, "Oh man, I didn't know this was a wardrobe gig." <laughs> and Mark, you're like, "Are you sure about this?" I'm like, dude, just just, just we trust me. No, no, no. Nate you and I were the both worst. Just like, what are we? No, because there was just like, so. First of all. <laughs> I remember thinking like, I, I remember looking at Joe and I was like, these guys are going to be down, right? And Jack just, right. Jack doesn't even think of whether anybody's going to be down. It's just like, yeah, this is like what we're doing. This is yeah. what's happening. And because, exactly. you know, it's just like it, he, he can see three steps down the internet where we might be able right. to see a couple steps down the internet. So it's like, oh, right. oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I know Jack's <laughs> got a plan. Like, you know, so we'll, we'll switch up. Actually, I thought about for the next 
For the next album, it would be fun to like blow the entire budget on like getting Marvel to make us fearless flyers. Wow. <laughs> well, we're not going to do that, but yeah. Uh, Maybe. How dope would if it be listening. to like have some straight up looking like we're coming out of straight out of Wakanda or something like those outfits yeah, are like dope. Some Avengers with like the armor. Yeah. And, oh like, yeah, yeah. Like end game, like the end game, right. but in dark bluish purplish. I'm sure we can make that work. Yeah. I'm sure someone listening to this has a connection somewhere in that yeah. realm. Well, costume design. Uh, I'm into maybe it. they just need to make a Marvel movie called the fearless flyers. Yeah. <laughs> And then we can maybe convince them to let us keep the uh, outfit. Do we get to play ourselves or do we get to hire like better looking, more talented versions and, you know, Hollywood versions? Well, they'll probably just, uh, they'll probably just superimpose somebody else's faces or heads onto ours. But I think we just do it, dude. I think we go 12 week, uh, 12 week workout plan, both musical and physical. And our superpower (laughs) is, is all in sub is like our subdivision is our superpower. Our uh, our catchphrase is no 16th note left behind. Left behind. Oh, very good. I like it. We'll focus group it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good. Yeah. Or, you know, Marvel can pitch us whatever they want. But uh, the, the, yeah, they can. Yeah, we'll yeah, do yeah, it. We'll... <laughs> Let them come to us with literally anything. We'll do it. <laughs> Give us the wardrobe. I'm in. Like, look, dude, I, I don't care yeah, right, what. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. So I was going to change subjects, but then I was thinking, well, what's my superpower? I think my like my uh, my my rubber wrist. I can turn my body into rubber. <laughs> that, it's kind of like worthless, but the, the it's mo- like sort of like Stretch Armstrong, but s- yeah, yeah, yeah. But know. but maybe just more limber. You know, it's just more about yeah. about flexibility. You know, so like the incredible. There was a Fantastic Four character. That yeah, could do that, right? or yeah. Sort of, kinda. What would yours be? What would my superpower be? I've never asked this Shoot. question to anybody. I know, and you're just gonna get. Yeah, what did you think you were gonna get coming on a guitar <laughs> podcast, Mark? You don't normally don't get this on the guitar podcast. You go on. I think I would just be sarcastic. Like I would just be like that. Like I would walk into a situation and just with sarcasm, and people would just be like, mm, "I guess that's what he does." Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, could be we'll a parody on of... Mister Fantastic. It's Mister Sarcastic. Mister Sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah. I like. He doesn't really get anything done. He just sort of makes people giggle for about six minutes, and then. <laughs> something you know then you have to come in and actually save the day with real superpowers or nate or joe or something but <laughs> dude i don't know di joe D- you've thought about this you've, <laughs> you've thought this you have a script <laughs> di joe <laughs> actually you know what since since joe's uh, you know they're on the whole branding train with the signature basis he should just do a signature di box called the di joe exactly exactly Wow. And Nate Smith is just the ace of aces. And it's just like, yeah, he just just nails everything down the middle. (laughs) Everyone just, he just shows up, plays drums and all the chaos that's everyone just stops and like watches him. And they're like, oh, maybe we don't have any problems. Cause I like (laughs) that. Just plays drums and they all go. Yes, exactly. We just all feel better. Yep. All right. Nailing things in the middle, making things feel good. You and I are both, we've had several conversations about subdivision, time feel internal feel where to place things how to place things this is kind of what i want to get into a lot with you is kind of subdivision time feel where did you learn and how did you develop your internal time clock i played along to a lot of records and got really lucky with playing a great with other great musicians primarily drummers bass players yeah a lot of experiential stuff i mean from an early an early age, I was just blessed to be able to play with some cats that were really grooving. Yeah. And then, yeah, just shedding to records where I would basically be, you know, I'd try put myself in the band, you know, I'd learn a part, try to play it all the way through. A lot of times I wouldn't even like transcribe the solos. I would just sort of solo on top of the soloist during the solo sure. section, yeah. you know, and just hit it, repeat, do it over and over again. But learning records, man, learning tunes and then just playing hours and hours and hours of gigs. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, truth be told, like, haven't done a ton of like serious metronome work. Mm. I think I just, you know, just got involved, you know, having to do it on sessions and stuff like that. And now I do a little bit more of it just because, you know, I need to work on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly it was just playing a lot of gigs, a lot of guitar. Yeah. Hands on the instrument. Well, also what's interesting to me. So you're able to pull off both the rhythm thing at a 10 out of 10 and also the shred thing out of a 10 out of 10. 
and like guitar solos. Like so, for me, like I feel, I feel like I've got the rhythm game. Like that to me is is what I feel I bring to the table. And yeah, I can solo and like I do a lot of like jam, rock, jazz solos. But but more like in like the way that like a Chet Baker or even like Paul Desmond, you know, as far as horn players, compared to like. Mm a train or a cannonball or something, you know, cats that are ripping high concept, high chops, all the things just rotating over. That to me is, is an, is a skill in itself, just being that versatile, but also being a 10 out of 10 at both of them. Do you approach, like, how do you approach rhythm playing differently than lead playing? And when do you differentiate when to make that switch? Cause I've seen it in your playing. Sometimes you'll switch, whether it be a little technique thing or I just see your brain go, oh, and then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> yeah, like something switches. What, what is it for you in that? Right on. Thanks, man. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think I actually approach everything from a rhythmic concept, even when it comes to soloing. Sure. Um, that's really the, you know, if I'm playing a million notes or four, they all have to be in the pocket. Yeah. You know, they all have to make important stays, statements from a phrase perspective. Yeah. You know, I need to... St- put the gaps in the right place, which not only helps you with your time feel, but it just sort of helps you tell a better story. Yeah. You know, if you take breaths like a singer would or something like that, but my influences are kind of all over the map. I mean, I'm definitely like a big Eddie Van Halen fan and, and he would sort of, he, his solos, you could like dance to, you yeah. know what I mean? Like they had a really cool time feel. Sometimes it was behind the beat. Sometimes he would almost do something completely out of time, but he would always land. Sure. Right in the pocket and that kind of stuff soloists like that always were important to me and so i would listen to a lot of players like that but then again all the the rhythm guitar players that i loved i would just kind of take what i learned from both sides of the spectrum and kind of be able to you know switch between the two but really the the rhythm and the time feel is always the most important thing to me um especially i think maybe even more well let me try to say yeah, I don't like listening to my leads if they don't feel good. Mm. Like, I don't care what notes I played or what melody I played, but if the feel's not there and it's not pocket or funky or rocking in the right way, yeah. you know, I need to work on that. So, but yeah, it might just come from loving both ways of playing equally, Yeah, I think. Totally, <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. the, the other the other ones that I can think of, even in that realm, as you're talking, it's like Eddie Van Halen had the lead and rhythm thing. Prince had the lead sure. and rhythm thing. Exactly. Like uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy you know? had that. Well, if you think about it, I mean like all of our favorite guitar players probably are really good at both. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but some of the, even, some of the really good lead players, their time feel when they play rhythm, it's like, ah, I can't hmm. believe I didn't notice that 10 years ago. But now when I listen back, it's like, <laughs> that's, that, there's something weird about i mean of course yeah most of our favorite yeah. players yeah. i mean it's a different discipline yeah i mean you 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 do have well you know and you you know this as a as a studio guy and a producer and a working dude i mean it's like if you're getting paid to play guitar most of the time you're just getting paid to play rhythm guitar yeah right yeah totally like you're getting paid to make a song sound good or or make it feel good or whatever and so you know when it's time to solo you get your eight bars so you might as well make those feel good too yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a, it's a deep hole oh i know it's there, yeah it's we don't but. yeah there's a, there's a lot there but i think yeah you you nailed it when you just said it's a different discipline mm. you know some people can be chess masters and they can be amazing swimmers it's like those are two different right. things now of course rhythm guitar and lead guitar have more crossover than chess and the butterfly stroke, but you sure. know, it's, uh, whatever we don't, yeah, we don't need to go. Well, on. I, yeah, but I mean, I guess to further clarify what I was saying, like if you, I, I didn't want to f- be in a musical situation where I couldn't do what was asked. And ah. I think a lot of times it was like play great rhythm guitar, but we also need you to take a great guitar solo. So I was like, okay, crap. Well, I need to be able to do both of these at a decent level. Yeah. And so, hence why I tried to study all of it, you know? Yeah. Took a while to get to that answer. Sorry about that. Hey, can edit that nah, out. Nah, it's great. I'll say the first video that I saw of you that I that I was like, all right, let me watch that again. Let me watch that again. Let me watch that again. Jack from Wolf, we were hanging out. He was showing me this downstroke funk thing. It, it was like a live... Oh, sure. I think actually... Yeah, we ended up putting that in Ace of Aces. Yes, yes. That was the inspiration for that section of, of right. Ace of Aces. Yeah. 
And I do a, a downstroke 16th thing too, but they're very different because mine's more like muted. I try to sound like a marimba sort of thing. And yours is, cool, right. it just sounds like you're playing rhythm guitar, but it sounds like James Hetfield more than... <laughs> <laughs> more than more than just the the alternate picking because because you got that too, which then after we talked and hanging out, realizing oh my gosh, Mark grew up as a metalhead. So much of this makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah, yeah. I, that was just a thing that to me it just sounded cool because like the the lines that I'll play for that stuff comes from R and B or funk or gospel guitar, yeah. right? But I just thought that if I try, you know, if I feel it out with this kind of downstroke thing, it puts the time feel in a kind of a cool grid yeah. and that it also just has a, an attitude about it. So it just kind of became a, I can't, you know, I can't do it for like a whole tune. My hand will fall, yeah. but it's a nice party trick to throw in every now and then. Yeah. I mean, it's got this sort of helicopter effect. It, that's, it's got a different sense of urgency when it's all downstrokes. It's cool. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, you have, you gotta be, at least I have to be careful kind of rushing it when I, yeah. do it, you know, playing ahead of the beat, but, but if you can lock it in, it's, yeah, it's a really kind of a cool effect. Speaking of helicopter, you're the helicopter guy, <laughs> helicopter pilot. Hey, it's just <laughs> the, the, the motor motor going, <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's a video. It well, it's one of ours. It's uh, I don't remember which tune, but it's from the last fearless fires record where we're both playing kind of a similar part, but your wrist is doing this and I, and I'm like right here <laughs> and it's, it's really funny to watch it on, on screen. Cause we're, you know, we're, it sounds like we're one guitar, but we're approaching it from two different, I know, you know, physical aspects and it just looks really cool. I know. It's so weird. I, I, part of me hates what, like, so for people listening that didn't see my sweep is real wide, like almost, it's huge, almost the full, like, well, probably 75% of the range of motion of my wrist and Mark's got the precision metal technique that it's very different. Uh, yeah, it's just so yeah. much different. And do you you? But we're both playing funk. Yeah, I know. Up, this is great. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds awesome, and it complements each other. But it's just yeah, you're right. It's really interesting how one technique and the other look so different. But it's like uh, they kind of sound the same for mm. whatever reason. And you know, like mm. we use different picks, we use different strings and guitars and settings. You know, so like. Right. There is other things that are, we're probably hearing the way that we want to sound in a similar way. You know? Yeah. That's what's, that's the beauty about music, man. Everybody kind of approaches it from their own. We, we might all arrive at the same place, but we took totally different routes to get there. Yeah. Which is why it's great. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about a route you just landed at a nice milestone. I saw the video the night it came out and was so stoked for you. Talk to me about your new signature PRS guitar. Thanks, man. Well, yeah, it's the Fiore, which is Italian for flower. Mm -hmm. And uh, the short backstory is that I brought home the red one, the uh, prototype, and just asked. I didn't have, I've never named a guitar, you know, so I, I had my kid do it. And she said, well, it looks like a flower. And so we decided we wanted to put maybe something in Italian there. So we just decided, well, flower in Italian is Fiore, which sounds really cool. Yeah. But Backing up even more, yeah. PRS approached me about a year ago. It was it was like sort of fall of twenty nineteen, and and I had had a great relationship with them through amps and through some of their other guitars because I was using their five nine four series, which is their yep. humbucker, uh, which is just an insane guitar. And that was that was the guitar that kind of turned me on to PRS. So I was like, okay, wow, this is really serious. So we got a great relationship, and they said, hey, we want to be your guitar builder. Like, let us design you something. And I said, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, come up here. We'll start drawing stuff. We'll start talking pickups and specs and we'll make you your thing. I'm like, do you want to do it? <laughs> and it kind of like when you emailed me, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like well, what about, you know, what, what about, but do you guys do that? Like, you know, it's of course me, Mr. Spec speculating guy. Anyway, got over that real quick. And, uh, cause you know, when, <laughs> got over that real quick because when paul reed smith asks if you want to build a guitar with him you don't say no you say yes <laughs> and so that was it man we went up there and you know they knew kind of the sound that i that i had in my head and how to get it out and, and how to get it out in a way that they could you know make lots of them for lots of people yeah and so that's kind of the that's really the great thing about it is it, it it's it's a guitar that i am super proud of that speaks to me as a player but i also feel like it allows 
other players to speak the way they want to through the guitar. Yeah. That was really what I wanted it to be kind of like a, a blank slate or an open canvas to where, you know, like when you pick up an instrument, you want to hear the things about your playing that you, that you like, and you want to be able to explore those. You don't necessarily want to be dictated so much yeah. by the sound of a guitar. You know I mean? And all this to say, of course, guitars have a sound. Yeah. We know that, but certain guitars let you do more of you. Absolutely. Right. They don't, they don't kind of, yeah, like I said, they don't dictate you to do a, s- a certain sound or play a certain way or whatever. And so that's what I think we achieved with with the guitar. So I'm super proud of it, man. They're starting to roll out. People are doing some reviews and uh, Rob Harris got his hands on one. He's super into it. Nice. So that's always cool to hear to hear the homies really, really digging it. So yeah, man, I'm excited. Excited about the future. I got a, I got a one that matches our uh, our outfits for next week. Ooh, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. I don't know if I was supposed to say that. On the yeah, podcast, hey, I'm but. I'm down, dude. I've, I'm to the point okay. where I'm just like I'm just gonna talk about whatever I'm working on. Like I'm All gonna right, post cool. about it. I like sometimes my managers. If I were on a label, they'd be like, "Don't tell people you're doing this right. until the rollout." I'm just like, ah. Eh. But you know, like it's also kind of fun for people to know. Oh, he recorded this then, and it came out five, seven, one month, twelve months later, sure. whatever. So, anyways, yeah. I'm recording. Another Corey and the Wong notes iteration, and Mark is coming to hang and play at the sesh. How about that? Oh, yes. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Turn up. <laughs> but you got the matching guitar for it. I like that. Well, I got I, the, I, yeah, I, I got they 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 sent me one of the Sugar Moon ones, which is like a muted white, ooh. so it's gonna look really nice with the jackets and oh yeah. That's tight, dude. How many colors did you end up doing? Is it three colors? It's three. Yeah. And they're all named after different species of flowers, mm. uh, which I thought was, so we got the amaryllis, which is red. We got sugar moon, which is kind of a white. And then my, I think maybe my favorite is black iris, which is like a super, super, super deep purple. And then, yeah. So I guess depending on how these do, we'll roll out some other colors and fretboard options and pick up things. And I want to do a double neck baritone and standard Fiora and just go <laughs> Dude, all that the would way. Be dope. <laughs> just just make something insane. You know, they'll do it. I bet they'll do it. <laughs> the only reason why I hold you to such esteem on the baritone, aside from you just being awesome at it, of course, but you're kind of one of the only cats that's like, I'm doing baritone guitar. Like in a way that's well, not yeah. not like the traditional like a sure. lot of like maybe twenty years ago when people thought about baritone guitar, it was like tic tac kind of uh you know in country music sure. and, and and not a lot of other stuff but now it was like there was there was some other cool guy albums that came out some hip albums and then like Matheny did one quiet night the baritone acoustic thing right it's like oh i need a baritone and then it started yeah. to show up and now you came and it's like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna just be that guy i'm also <laughs> gonna crush regular guitar but i i, I am waiting for the the Latieri signature baritone someday too. I think that's yeah, that's coming. Might be in the cards. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's a great guitar. I'll oh, you can you I'll bring. Well, obviously I'll have it there. You can put your yeah. Hands I want to try it. I, like I want to try it. Yeah, dude. All right, all right. At the beginning of the episode, you heard me talking about Distro Kid. I'm gonna mention him again because it's worth it to me. I really think that if you are an artist, you should have an easy and comfortable way to upload your music and get it distributed to all the streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube Music, blah, 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 all that stuff. You should have a way to do that. DistroKid makes it really easy. And also, they don't take a percentage. They do not take a percentage of your royalties. That's amazing. All they do is charge a yearly fee. I love it. I use it. If you're making your own music and want to put it out there in the world, I would suggest using DistroKid. That's that. Easy as that. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, so I want to talk about session work because you've done a bunch sure. of different types of session work. There's a lot of people listening who are themselves session players or aspiring session players. Since we talked about the just the setup of the Flyers session, I want to, from your standpoint, what is the Fearless Flyers session like? How did you prepare for it? How did you react? And what was your mindset in those sessions? And then also when you're doing things for like Kirk Franklin, Tori mm-hmm. Kelly, that sort of stuff in the pop realm, in the R&B realm, in the gospel realm, you've done so many different things. And th- then later I want to ask you about the snarky thing because I've okay. seen you prepare for a couple things, but I want to hear for, right from you 
just on the session side of it. Let's leave snarky out of it. I'm, 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 sure. I want to get there, but kind of flyers and then gospel pop R&B world. I guess with each flyers record, there seemed to be a little bit more maybe pre-production going into it. Like the first one, I mean, we had a couple ideas, right? Yeah. I mean, you had some ideas, Jack had a couple ideas, and then the rest of the ideas were stuff we all kind of brought in or or like, you know, we grabbed from an Instagram video, yeah. me for Ace of Ace, for example. I think what was was pretty cool about those sessions is how fast they move and how we keep everything so organic. Yeah. You know, because I am personally like, you know, if it's a, if it's a project, well, I'm like this with everything, but you know, I want to make sure everything's perfect and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. exactly down the middle and yada, yada. And that's not the fearless flyers aesthetic. And at this point in my life, I love that. I'm so okay with that. And I think getting to do those sessions with you guys made me less of a jerk in the studio <laughs> because I'm just like, well, that sounds great. Like, cool. Move on. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> on to the next thing. We don't need to micromanage every t- tiny little thing that that we do because you know of course as players we all get self-conscious about stuff but with the flyers there's such a vibe and an energy and like you want to keep that you don't want to you don't want to neuter that Mm -hmm. stuff you know and so i I think now i'm kind of i do take that mentality into other other sessions pop sessions and things like that not as an excuse to be sloppy or not sound good but really understanding that there is a lot of magic in spontaneity that will really make the performance amazing. Yeah. You know, and if, if you micromanage your takes to the point where they sound computerized and not cool anymore, then they're just not cool. And then it it's, you know, it's worthless. And then Kirk will tell me this all the time. Cause I'll be like, Oh, punch me. And he goes, Mark, that was you. Like when your eyes rolled back in the back of your head, that was the take, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but the one he's like, I didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then you hear the final track and you're like, Oh yeah, I guess that when your eyes roll back in your head, that's, that's where it sounds great. You know, yeah. you, you didn't need to totally edit that thing to death or whatever. And so it's taken me a while to get there, but I'm, I'm feeling good about that. But yeah, I mean, going into those sessions, it's, it's the same. If there's tunes I need to learn, I learn them backwards and forwards. I try to learn as many parts as possible, even if it's not the guitar part. I guess we'll talk about Snarky, but you know, with, with Snarky, everyone sort of expected to learn all the parts. Mm. Horn lines, keyboard voicings, bass lines, whatever. Really? You never really know what we're going to be playing. Yeah. Um, so, well, since we're the there, same... since we're there, like, that's fine. Okay. I don't care. Sorry, I jumped No, ahead, it's but... good. Well, we're, we're going all around. All right. So it, there's no, well, like, what kind of demo are you getting for that? It depends. I mean, some of the cats have pretty, pretty extensive demos. Yeah. And that's great. And sometimes, you know, they'll send their stems of the demos if they know exactly what they want sure. each instrument to play. But yeah, no charts. Um, so everything's done by ear. A lot of like sitting in the, in the hotel room or wherever we are with everyone's got their headphones on just in their own little space, learning parts. And then we get to the studio and track it. It happens pretty organically and quickly though. Kind of like the flyers, Yeah, you know, we'll do several takes, but if we get it, we get it. And then, you know, maybe we move on to some overdubs or something, but I mean, cats are learning tunes and writing tunes in the studio. And that's kind of how the thing yeah. all comes together. So, so like with the flyers, like, you know, if you send a demo, I learn, I'll learn the guitar parts. I'll, learn the baritone parts i'll learn the bass line because i don't you know whatever you guys need me to do yeah. i'm there to to do and then of course bring in my own flavor to it all but you know so it's it's actually i guess a little bit different than maybe a like an overdub session maybe for tori kelly or kirk franklin where they already have a track sure. and then you're just bringing in whatever they need acoustic electric kind of creating parts like that so do you think differently when you're playing live versus in the studio do you approach your playing differently um, no, I don't, I don't know. I guess it depends on the gig. I think maybe live, I, I open it up more to chance or disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe you take more chances with your tone or effects or volume or, or <clears throat> excuse me, or anything like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're on the studio or on the stage, you're there to play a role. You've got to play the tune. You've got to play the song. Sure. You've got to serve the the audience, you know. I like being in the studio and kind of putting myself in a very specific lane though, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of crafting guitar parts and orchestrating guitar parts as it pertains to like the lane. Yeah. That's cool. Sometimes for whatever reason on sessions, we feel like this is my only chance to do this thing. That's going to live forever. And a lot of times it does live forever and whatever. But in certain cases, when I do know that I can do th- 
20 takes of my own if I want because I'm recording remotely. Even then, sometimes I, I feel like this hesitation to like give it the same as live. Also, because it's like I'm looking at myself and I'm, you know, I'm giving myself energy back. You know, it's not the same energy as thousands of people screaming for you or like responding to this thing that you just did. Like I, for myself, when I'm recording remotely, a lot of times it takes me longer because I'm my own worst enemy. I think, oh, it's like, oh, that sucked. Oh, that sucked. Oh, that sucked. Or it's like in the studio, I'm like, no, 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 no. That that was great. There was one little bar that was weird, but like, we'll just pull it from later and it's fine. Otherwise, the entire song was great. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, because I do, I would say probably most of my session work is done remotely. I mean, these days, that's kind of how everybody does it. But yeah, I kind of like taking the time because sometimes I, I use it as like practice Ah, um, because I don't really have like a dedicated practice routine. Yeah. Um, just the way that I'm juggling all the stuff and you know how it is. Yeah. But if I get a session, that's something that maybe is stretching me a little bit. Like I'll take some time and, and just, I was like, wow, these are really cool changes. I need to figure out how to play over these. Like, yeah. Cool. I'm going to take my time and learn something about music before I even hit record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I get it. Like, you know, we were talking about sort of like crafting the perfect take and like neutering stuff. It's like, yeah, when you're recording remotely, I mean, that's, that's totally what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And it can be pretty dope. It's like, but I, if I'll, you're happy with it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're happy with it, and the client's happy with it, then like, I guess it all worked out in the end, but yeah. Yeah. When you're in the studio, you know, on, on a, an hourly dime or something like that, it's like, yeah, the pressure is there to to really bring it. But I think also in that pressure is where the cool, spontaneous, really yeah. magical stuff happens that you want to make sure is captured. But there's a certain level of crafting that we can do when we're at home. I know you like to stack parts. I love stacking sure. parts where if I was in the studio yeah. on somebody else's dime and they're paying by the hour, it's right. like, yeah, uh, give me six guitar tracks and like, okay, pan this one hard left, pan the next one hard right, and then the, like the next one's right. pan like 50-50 and the middle ones then do 30-30 oh, yeah. and like I'm going to do this harmonized line. They're going to be like, no, 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 no. Like, no, we don't have the time right. for that. It's like we haven't even gotten to the keyboards yet. We're not even going to hear your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get it, man. But, but some, then I, always, I yeah. always reference, I'm like, but have you guys heard the outro on Illusion coma pimp and circumstance for musicology where mm. prince is doing all those stereo rhythm guitar and, and they're like oh yeah okay maybe do that yeah <laughs> you know? i can do that yeah. for you how much time we got you know let me reference this prince album and then maybe that reference <laughs> this and then you'll change your mind and let me do as many guitar tracks as i want yeah but sometimes it's like you have an idea well, at least for me i have an idea of of how i can play this line to build momentum from one thing to the next the one line on its own isn't really compelling, but when you put four guitars in, it's like, whoa, that's, it sounds yeah. like a guitar orchestra or something. Yeah, the, yeah. the whole Brian May effect. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, man. All right, speaking of sessions, session okay. ledge upon ledge is Steve Lukather. Play it on your Never last album, <laughs> dude. When you told me you got Luke, me, I was like, oh, it's about to oh, set man. off. He's just the coolest guy like the coolest guy and you talk to him oh you yeah know, he's just a he's a ball of energy he's hilarious he, he makes you want to play music you know what i mean like talking to him and you know we'll send goofy texts back and forth i'm like this guy's just the greatest like yeah man you want to play on my record just throw it out here's a shuffle fastball yeah. down the middle buddy yeah you got the you know and he home run a grand slam you know so i was just th i was just thankful that he even did it man Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. That was so fun. He actually, um, he told me about recording on your album during our podcast, but I made sure to edit it out because uh, <laughs> I knew that he, you had not announced he the album yet. And he's just like, oh yeah, I played, I just played on Mark's new record and this and this and this. And like, sick. I'm going to edit that out so so right. I don't blow it, you yeah. know. Save the homie some PR work. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but now we can talk about it. So, yeah, it says yeah, me man, also I'm, now where I'm in the mindset of I'll just talk about whatever. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you got Satriani to play on your song. So we got to just get our Guitar Hero buddies to play on our tunes from now on. <laughs> That's exactly it, man. That's exactly <laughs> so it. I have a surprise for you. There's somebody else who's coming to this session next week who we're going to be playing with. All right, great. Don't tell me, though. Another Guitar Hero of ours. You can tell me after the podcast. I will tell you after the podcast. So can, Leave a little mystery so for the audience. super nervous. <laughs> 
No, no, no. You're not going to be nervous. You're going to be like, oh, ho, ho. yeah. I've always wanted to play with Ingve. Is he coming? Are we- Dude, that would be dope. Dude, that <laughs> would be dope. Dude, you, Ingve, and me, <laughs> just do it all. I'll, just, I'll play my rhythm guitar stuff. You'd... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing baritone, and then he's just Ingve. Yeah, like, yeah. We'll, se- yeah, we'll yeah. set it up like we normally do, and just give him. You know, maybe we can all wear like cool uh, frilly shirts, sort of like. Dude, yeah. I love Ingve. Shadrick, Ing- make this happen. Ingve is he like could not be more Ingve at any time. Like every time I've seen Ingve, he's just been 180 percent Ingve. I, I had heard a st- I, uh, well, this is rumor, but you know, he lives in Florida or something, and people say like. He goes to the grocery store in a Ferrari wearing the leather. That's like, dope. You know, buys a watermelon, milk, and eggs in the leather with the, with the shirts and the frills, gets in the Ferrari and goes home. You got to have <laughs> respect, like, dude. You got to have respect. I'm going to be wearing the Fearless Flyers Avengers suit everywhere if I get that thing. <laughs> True. Yeah, I would too. That, I can't be like, what are you for Halloween? The same thing I have been for the last 10 years, babe. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're going to catch me at Trader Joe's. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get that almond cheese in the Fearless Flyers. <laughs> like, oh, there's hi, hi, Corey. <laughs> like nobody would even care after. We're like, hey, Corey, yeah, sale on summer sausage. Like, <laughs> dude, did you ever see the Ingve instructional video? I believe it's a green screen, if memory serves right. But he's in like Dracula's castle, and he's like, wow. All right, now here's how you play over a blues. This is like some blues music. And it's a blues backing track, like an Abersol sounding backing track, but like kind of dope. Yeah. And he's just shredding harmonic minor. Like he's just like doing the Yngwie thing over like a dominant chord blues. And I, man, I fell out as soon as I I heard that and saw that I was thinking, this is incredible. This is a cat who knows himself and has his thing. And it's just if you're gonna full yes, on. Yes. If you have a thing, do your thing 110%. Why not? I love it. Why not? That's so good. <laughs> oh, it's great. That's, I champion that, man. Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. All right. Getting into this, these big, large bands. So, you know, with my band and what we're going to do next week, it's like an 11 piece band, but it's, it's, yeah. it's like there's a rhythm section and then the horn section is one, basically one really big instrument. That's kind of how I've treated that cool. department. Like the horn section is a section. Everything is together and every once in a while, somebody will play a solo or whatever. But I remember, I think it was during Fearless Flyers 2, the recording session, we were at the Airbnb and you were prepping for like this Vic, oh, right. the Vic Firth live jams thing. And you were going through all these people's demos and it was such complicated music. And the demos were like, yeah, I don't know what they want me to play, but this part's in 11, then it's in 15. And all these drummers are trying to get cute with all the timing. And I got to learn this and there's not a single chart. It's like, but you're oh, like, man. it's going to be awesome. And I was like, dude mad respect for how much time and effort you put into all that but also like you're saying like uh, for anybody who thinks that you're just saying you learn all the parts no i watched you do it in the airbnb <laughs> after the flyer <laughs> sessions in your headphones learning all these big first champs with all the snarky pubsy stuff really complicated it's a hard music band you know like sure there's a lot of complicated music sure do you think that you would be able to do it the same if you were reading or is like the way that you learn it Oh, no way. I mean, I'm not because I'm not a great reader. Okay. You know, I th- I mean, I'll look at I'll look at charts for like backup. Yeah. You know, like if I need to double check something or kind of remember a form or something, but I would much rather just put my ears on a demo than try to sight read. Sure. Something like that. Just because there's so, you know, once again, I'm not a great reader, but two, there's just so much going on in there and it's easy. It's easier for me to c- compartmentalize the tune if it's just in my ears because mm. then I don't feel like I'm married to a page. Yeah. Because a lot of times, I mean, even with simple charts, if I'm reading them, like, or simple songs, I should say, if I'm reading them, it's like, well, I can't play this simple song without this chart. And it's like, dude, it's a simple tune. You should just be able to remember it. Yeah. But you've learned it with the chart now. So you're kind of married to having this piece of paper in front of you. So early on it, learning music, right out of college, I got into gospel music here yeah. in Dallas, Fort Worth. And like, that's hard music. Yeah. And there were no charts and you had a set of tunes you had to learn for Sunday or Wednesday rehearsal, whatever it was. And I just got used to learning hard music by ear. Yeah. But I did a lot of like 
live gospel recordings, you know, no charts, tons of tons of tunes, licks and hits and all these kinds of things. And then and then got into the snarky puppy thing. And I was kind of like, OK, this is kind of the same thing, different kind of music, but the workload is similar. Yeah. You know, and so almost like that, that early gospel stuff was like weight training, dude. Sure. Like <laughs> to get into those snarky sessions. And and the thing is, is that everyone in snarky was kind of, kind of doing the same thing. Cause we were all kind of experimenting in gospel music around the same time. And obviously there's some trained gospel musicians in the band yeah. who were basically the ones who were like the ones that were producing these live records that we were all playing on. Sure. So it was a lot of kind of cross pollination there, but I just got used to, to learn in tunes like that. And so, yeah, when the Vic first stuff comes around, I feel like I'm, you know, prepping for another gospel live recording or snarky session or something. But man, the Vic first stuff is hard, <laughs> dude. I know I watched you. <laughs> like I watched you practice stuff. it. And then months later, yeah. I saw that stuff come out. It's like, gosh, right. I'm so glad well, now, that wasn't me. Now they just have me <laughs> help write the, now they just have, have me help write the songs so that I can yeah. write the complicated stuff for other people. Yeah. Make them, like <laughs> give it to the guitar players and be like, okay guys, so here's how it's, yeah. <laughs> good luck, have fun. But then they kill it. So it's great. No, it's great. I love that. And that I think, you know, for people who are listening, who heard us earlier saying that, you know, the Wolfpack thing and the Snarky Puppy thing is very different. So mm-hmm. much of it is in the fact that uh, I, I'm not saying that it's dumbed down or anything, but Wolfpack's music is pretty easy to play if you like look at the the music itself. Like, what is the song? What is the written parts? Like, or mm-hmm. like what's ex- like? Yeah, some of the stuff that we do is is hard technically on our instruments, and I think the Flyers we all do very technical stuff that sometimes is maybe not as seemingly hard because how much subdivision there is, it's it's really hard to be that accurate with each other. But right. As far as the writing is concerned, it's open to do this thing over this chord mm-hmm. here. And like, yeah, the part is kind of there, but it's not really complicated. Like the Wolfpack gig would be one of the easier gigs to prepare for compared to mm-hmm. like if I'm if I were looking at, oh my gosh, I need to sub for somebody on a snarky puppy gig or on the Vic Firth jams thing. I, I would probably have a, I mean, you know how the cycle goes. You're like, yes, I'm totally in. And then you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this terrifying. Yeah, the overwhelming sense of uh, just like of doom. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, okay, I, I got this. I can come around. But I, right. I feel like I would need so much more time to prepare the music and so much more dedicated time of, okay, this specific line happening here, 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 right. this, 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 yeah. this time signature change. Here's how the feel changes. It just seems like a lot. It just feels like a harder gig to play. It's a hard gig. Yeah. I mean, the Snarky Puppy gig's probably the, I mean, it's definitely some of the most challenging music I've ever played in my life. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's exposed me to music that I have, you know, I don't have a background in. Yeah. You know I mean? Especially now some of the cats are writing stuff that's influenced from, has, you know, Moroccan influences or Turkish influences. And that's a whole other language. Yeah. That, that if you grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area playing, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, you didn't really learn, you know. <laughs> so, so it's exposed me to that stuff and the rhythms that are involved in there. And yeah, I mean, you know, getting on a snarky tour, even if I'm super prepared, it takes me a couple gigs to really find my footing. Yeah. Because it's like you're just jumping on a freight train going a thousand miles an hour and you got to hang on. And then the tour is over and you're like, I finally got it. And then yeah. there's no more kicks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So That's awesome, dude. I love that. What was the what was the live Royal Albert Hall? That was the last dude. Right. That was sick. Great Thanks, live album. Thanks, man. Uh the other thing that you've done, so I we have both Snarky Puppy and Metropole Orchestra did an album. Yeah, you did that. I did that, a Corey that, Wong well, and Metropole. Speaking of great records, congrats on that. That was beautiful, man. Thanks, dude. I felt that was really that was really cool. I felt really good about it. I kind of pulled a fast one for myself as far as like how hard it would be for me as far as playing because mm-hmm. I kind of still just played pretty much the same stuff that I do with my normal band, but I just mm-hmm. worked the arrangements to be all very different. So mm-hmm. if somebody pays attention to the guitar stuff, I play. Pretty, pretty much the same as how I normally would, but the orchestra adds this completely other element. And, you know, of course, Sweet. with their timbre changes and section changes right. and stuff, it, it changes. But your guys' session was really cool. Was that one more structured of knowing exactly what you're doing going yeah, into it? Very much so. Yeah. 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 I mean, we had, you know, Michael League wrote the whole thing. Yeah. And so we had very, like, he sent me a file with like, 
Mark Latiria guitar part. Got it. You know? and yeah. So, so I knew exactly what to play on every song. Um, you know, I had a couple, I had a solo or two and that's so Chris, that was improvised. But yeah, as far as the parts, it was, you, you need to do this or it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And that was the case for mine as well. I just arranged mm-hmm. it in the in the sense where I could pretty much build it all around what I wanted to play on the guitar. Did you arrange with Vince or was it separate or how did you guys do all that? Vince didn't do any of the arrangements. He just conducted. But I worked with oh, cool. three or four other arrangers kind of all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, it was great. Sweet, it was fun. Killer. Yeah. And then Vince and I, once we were in rehearsals, it was actually kind of reductionist technique. Like, oh, this, it, it was more just subtractive of of things mm-hmm. in the arrangement by the time we got there, which was a good thing to have because it was yeah. more stuff than what was needed. So then we could trim back rather than, oh, we need to write a part for the whole string section on this part of the song. It's like, well, gotcha. it's going to take a minute, you know? Yeah. Give him a break. Yeah. Cool. What else is coming up for you? What else is going on? We got a session um, next week, you know, but tell people yeah. you got the new baritone funk album yeah, is out. Yeah. Yeah, Deep Volume 2 is out, and people are digging it, so if you haven't got that, go get it. It is dope. It is dope. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's fun. There's a lot of of music on that. A lot of players, too. Yeah. A lot of lot of cats on that record. So that was a fun one to put together. I'm glad it I'm glad it came together. I wanted to put it out earlier, but you know, things happen and so now it's out now and yeah. Hey. Yeah, I think my quartet's going to Europe for like a quick little run through Italy uh in July. So hopefully, you know, everything goes okay with that and it'll be good to get back on the on the road a little bit yeah. playing and you know, I'm just kind of doing doing all the things. <laughs> you know, trying to get back to you know, we're playing gigs here in Texas, which is cool. Yeah. So I've been working a lot with, with, with my group here, just getting the show back together and putting the band back together, man. Yeah. So cool. But, uh, yeah, a couple things, you know, some more, I think by the fall, it'll probably almost feel like quote unquote normal again. Yeah. You know, with, with touring and guitar camps and all these other things. And, but yeah, in the, in the immediate future, that's, that's what's happening in the summer. So Nice. All right, I have one more. You reminded me of one other personal question I have, and then then I close right. out with a little gear thing because people love talking about gear and hearing cool. musicians talk about gear. Going from a big band, like we talked about, a lot of times you tour with just a trio and you set a quartet. Right. I have a hard time playing as a trio, partially because of my tone. I play mo- so much clean guitar. It's like mm-hmm. a, a clarinet compared to a saxophone. Like the saxophone just mm-hmm. has like... It can... It can carry a lot more yeah. weight in a similar way where like a heavier guitar tone can. Sure. I have a hard time playing with a trio, part of it being my tone, but also my playing style and some of my approach I would need to change. But for you, how do you change your approach? How do you change the way that you play to make a trio setting work as opposed to a four or five piece group? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to it's almost like a test to see how the compositions work mm. if they work, you know, like if, if they feel good as a trio where I'm kind of alternating between playing melodies and playing important rhythm parts. Yeah. Then I feel like the tune really has a nice contour and a nice shape. Yeah. Um, so, I, so in a sense, you know, obviously with the baritone stuff, it's a little harder just because there's a lot of parts on that. So I definitely do that with a quartet cause I need keyboards. Yeah. And I've been moving, you know, my normal quote unquote normal music to a quartet format to just, just because I like playing rhythm guitar and I don't necessarily feel like I have to solo. Yeah. Song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'll let some of the other, yeah, the other cats play, but a lot, a lot of my early influences were all trio, but you know, the Jimi Hendrix experience, I sure. mean, like Van Halen's a trio. They just have a singer. Yeah. You know, when I would go see Joe Satriani play in San Francisco, he, he was a trio. The you know, Wayne Krantz's bands were trios, John Schofield trio, you know, all, all these guys and, and different players that I loved always had some sort of trio format. That sure. I really dug. So it just kind of seeped itself into the way that I play live. But but really, I think it kind of goes back to like a test to see if my tunes are cool enough, if I can carry them with the, with the least amount of instrumentation. Yeah. You know? So. All right. I like that. I dig yeah. that. And there's caveats to it, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I like to close out the interviews with a nice little gear question. If you had, if is, is there one piece of gear that's about 20 bucks-ish or less that every guitar ah. player needs to have. What is it? String clippers. <laughs> string clippers. I like I that one. String or or e- yeah, either that or a headstock tuner. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, had that. I've heard that one a bunch. I would say headstock, but yeah, I mean string, string these little string winder because it's one of those items that you always, if you you know what I mean. It's like, I, where's this? Yeah. I don't have it. It's the thing you always forget. Yeah. So get a couple of them, put one in each of your gig bags, dude. You know what just changed my life? Speaking of string winders. I can't believe I have never had one of these. Brian Ball, I was hanging with Brian Ball from Ernie Ball, and he's just like, dude, what are you doing? Check this out. Like he saw me restringing something, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm doing it by hand. I literally don't even have a string winder. I'm see, need a string winder. Yeah. He goes, What are you doing? Dude, look here. He had me like this power tool. Oh, right. Version of that, like the powered string winder. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so yeah. easy. It's like a little drill thing, like I felt like yep. I was seriously like NASCAR level changing yeah. strings. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I need one of those. Yeah. Those are cool. Those things. That's some real yeah, guitar techs. They're though. incredible. Yeah. I'm just not enough guitar techie to, you know, but I got one now. I got one now. Yep. All right. Next question. Piece of gear, 200 bucks ish or less. What does everybody guitar, every guitar player need? 200 bucks ish or less. What does every guitar player need? Oh man! Um, I'll go to three hundred if you absolutely must. If you're overthinking the price point, no, I'm not overthinking the price point. I'm just thinking of like there's so many things that I would do with three hundred dollars <laughs> that I would. Man, get yourself like a decent recording interface if you do. You know what I mean? I like that, especially a lot. maybe for traveling. Like if you, tra- you know, or even not. Yeah, but like. Get yourself a little Apogee or something just so you can capture your ideas. I love Some that. kind of recording device to capture your ideas, and you can definitely get them for under $300. 100%. I love that. Cool. I there love that. All right, final question. Okay. Money is not an issue. I am the blues lawyer. <laughs> well, no, 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 because that already puts me in like a, a certain... Uh, <laughs> You know, what it, kind of it, law do you practice? Yeah. That will determine what kind of guitars you can afford. No, it determines. It determines. Uh, it, it, it saying personal injury <laughs> or medical malpractice <laughs> or finance law. Okay. For those who don't, the blues lawyer is the cat who's <laughs> Mark. Mark's. <laughs> Bro, this is an entirely different podcast. No, I know, but like, it, we'll, wait a we'll second. give the quick. We'll give the one two on the blues lawyer right. is the cat that has crap tons of money. They're like a lawyer or they're like um, maybe a uh, mechanical engineer or ah, no mechanical engineer is something different. Lawyer, lawyer is just too good. Lawyer or um, maybe they work in HR, like a real high up. Okay. <laughs> executive. executive. They're, they're an executive. Yeah, they're an executive. Yeah, that's better. Not, not HR. Okay. They're an executive. Right. They're a lawyer. Crap tons of money. They like kind of played guitar in high school they played a little bit in their dorm room in college. And then when they got a bunch of money, they're like, Ooh, I can buy every piece of boutique gear and I can, uh, convert the theater in my basement of my house into a small venue where my buddies can come over and play. And you know, I've got $800,000 worth of gear in there and we're like, not actually very good, but our wives come or our husbands come and our neighbors come and it's like a good time but they're not that awesome. But the gear is insane because there's just endless <laughs> supplies of corporate money coming into this house. Okay, what do you tell to those people? What do they need to buy? What's one piece of gear they absolutely need? Oh, a PRS Fiore, of course. Come on, man, I'm playing T-ball. I set you up, bro. See, some of these cats don't get it. I tried to, do, I tried to set park. up Valentine. I tried to but set it, up Eric Johnson. You get it. Buy the, yeah, there you it, go. But it's not even a. It's not. I mean, it's an affordable <laughs> price point for what you're getting. It's. A, it's. I believe it's a very fair priced guitar. Uh, so buy three or four of them. <laughs> so you can convert your basement into a small. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah, that sounds like a dream. I want a man cave basement full of eight hundred thousand dollars of gear and hard seltzer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lady down the street from me who's working towards blues lawyer status. Okay. And I'm I'm excited to see the evolution of how this thing comes about. Cuz I've met a couple blues lawyers before. I've played at a couple You've played at a couple of those private parties. I know you have. Dallas, dude? Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. I've done some interesting ones. Dude, some oil tycoons <laughs> got like 
Okay, here's oh man, you know, ten grand each for you guys. Well, we're probably not making that much. They're actually sometimes kind of not that awesome. Here's crap sure. tons of money for you to come play in my backyard barbecue. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, this <laughs> is let your me see, backyard. Let me show you my music room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love those. Those are fun. Like the thing is, a, a lot of those cats get a bad rap. This lady down the street, she's awesome. And she's just like down with it. It's it's like, yeah, you know, she didn't put in the same amount of hours, uh, you know, getting the chops together, right. but the passion is still. Well, you know, thankfully, all of the quote unquote blues lawyers I've met have been very generous yeah. and very friendly and open to sharing all their cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess it's one that, but you know, you get. No, that's the truth. That's the good blues work, lawyer. You know, that's the yeah. good blues. I'm lawyer. sure that yeah, sure you get the one guy that shows up at the blues jam who thinks he's dope because he has a, a a 59 whatever it is into a clone this that and the other yeah and did that and all that yeah that's a, that's just that guy's a jerk even if he doesn't play guitar he's just a jerk right so but thankfully all the people that I've met have always been like yeah you can borrow it <laughs> dude I know that's <laughs> like, that's cool oh, those are the cats they got so. nothing to prove. They just, they yeah. love the gear. They love, they love guitar yeah. culture, you know, like they're guitar right. nerds just like us. And that's great. That's the, that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. The ones that have nothing to prove, the ones that are just down. That's sure. That's it. Anyway, yeah. that's okay. Now they know what <laughs> to it. buy. Dude, <laughs> thanks for joining us. This is fun. My pleasure, man. This was fun. I will Good see hang. you next week. I'm getting in on the first early. I got an early flight. I'm ready to hang, man. Nice. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we're going to hang. We're going to so, chill. Sweet. All right. Peace. All right, bros. Later. Yes, yes, yes. Mark's amazing. What a great friend. Great player. Great guy. If you're not familiar with Mark's music, go check it out. He's online. He's all over the place. Incredible player. Straight up legit. Seriously, one of the best guitar players I have ever seen in my entire life. I'm not just saying that because we have a band together, because he's my friend. I really mean it. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next week. <laughs>